Isaiah chapter 7, chapter 9, and chapter 11. Those three passages have a very interesting theme. Now, the danger, if you will, of this type of sermonic presentation is that too often individuals say, well, I've heard it all before, and most likely you have. I don't doubt that whatsoever. The chore this morning for me is to somehow in some way allow this passage, these passages, I should say, to speak a newness. Maybe there'll be a nugget in here that you've not seen before. There'll familiarity to you, but yet you've not stopped to ponder exactly what was going on. That's our chore this morning. And, and if I don't ask God to help, then I'm going to be lost. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is with great joy that you allow us this privilege to gather together. You've allowed us this whole year to gather together on this day, a Sunday, to worship and to learn from you. And yet this morning we find ourselves on a theme that is very, very familiar. What else can be said concerning the events of the birth of your greatest gift to the world? A gift that is displayed as this text and the scriptures say, by one wonderful world, it's your love. You so loved. You demonstrated your love. You willingly loved a world that is bent on, even as Isaiah says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. And that's the plight of the world. And unfortunately, Lord, I would even have to say that that's been the plight of sometimes in my life, too. We've been enticed. We've been captured by all the frivolity and all the emptiness that this world can only offer. But I am so glad that you give us hope. And I pray, O oh God, this morning that as we go over some very familiar passages of Scripture, that we won't allow the familiarity of them to cause us to doze off in a deep slumber, spiritually speaking. We may have our eyes open, our ears may listen, but yet, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be receptive to what your spirit would have for us today. I, I need your help, Lord. I, I can't speak on my own. If, if I do, it will, it will not even reach the end of this pulpit area. 
I need for you, O Lord God, to empower me. I need your words to become my words. I literally need to be separated from my thoughts that I may have your thoughts. I need to be depleted of my power so that I can speak in your power. Because if I don't, then these dear people will go away wondering and even maybe grasping for some kind of reality of truth that I was not able to give them. So God, I pray that your spirit would infuse all of us. Fill me, O Lord God, by the presence of your spirit and by the power of your spirit so that your people, those who are here this morning, your people, will be able to sense anew and afresh the very glory that is in Jesus Christ. Guide, O Lord God, all that is said and done. And we will praise you and thank you in your name. Amen. I am in many ways not politically incorrect or correct. I do like to say Merry Christmas. And if you don't like it, well, then you take it up with God. I remember one time, my wife and I, we were, we were shopping. We have this tradition, my wife and I, that we do all of our Christmas shopping on one day. We may start at 4 or 5 in the morning, doesn't matter. We start off with a breakfast, and, and then we, we plan our day and we don't come home until it's all finished. Sometimes when our children were younger, we would start that early in the morning. They had to get on the bus themselves. We were, we were gone. But we would not get back until they were almost in bed. It was that late. One time we were in a store down in the Lebanon area. And I, I, I go up to an individual asking for some help. And I did say Merry Christmas to her. And then I said, and by the way, my, my daddy owns it all. Oh, are, are you part of the Boss Cause family? No. No, no, wrong family. My daddy owns it all. His name is God. And he sent forth his son, Jesus Christ. That's what all of this is about. We never got checked out so fast in our lives. <laughs> I'm not politically correct. I enjoy saying Merry Christmas. I want people to know what is the meaning of all of this. In fact, that will be the, the crux, if you will. That will be the theme. That will be the, the focus of even next weekend. That all of this is just not for decoration. It is for the purpose that individuals fully understand that the birth of Jesus Christ 
is what makes Christmas the greatest event of all. But it's the prelude to what yet is coming. I'm getting ahead of myself. I wonder if there might be in this world just a emptiness when people are clamoring and even fighting in the, in, the, in the aisles of Walmart for the last toy. Why do they do that? There's this missing of a hope that is in Jesus Christ. When we come to the prophets, we, we have to understand a couple of things about their lives. Number one, it was not an, an occupation. It was not a call of ministry that individuals ran to with a great excitement. In fact, Isaiah in the earlier chapters says, I am undone. Why would you even think of choosing me? Other prophets were caught off guard, tapped on the shoulder, if you will, by God saying, you are going to be my mouthpiece to the nation of Israel. It will be through you that I will speak. I will use your life as examples. I will use my words as power for the purpose, a twofold purpose, in fact, one is for correction, and the other is for hope in the midst of correction. So the life of a prophet was not something individuals ran to want to be a part of. They didn't receive invitations to towns, folks, parties. In fact, none of them even got a thank you note written to them saying, thank you for your kind words from God. Nothing like that at all. The other part of that is this. The life of a prophet was lonely. People didn't like to hang out with them. Oh, here he comes again. What's he going to say this time? Kings didn't like to hear them because some of them became, if you will, direct objects of God's words. Isaiah served under four different kings. They're listed for you in chapter 1, verse 1. Four empires that Isaiah was responsible for speaking to. The last one culminated, if you will, in a king not the name of Hezekiah. A good king. One of the few good kings. But in the writings of chapter 7, and chapter 9, and chapter 11, it's King Ahaz. King Ahaz, according to 2 Kings, did continually evil in the sight of God. He wasn't interested in the purpose. He was not interested in the plan. He was not even interested in the person of God. He wanted to do what he thought 
should be done. And in chapter 7, where we find our first indication, we see that he is fearful. There are two other kings who are planning to come and to do battle with him. He's in Jerusalem. He's in that region known as Judah, comprised of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And he is there, and he's fearful. In fact, so fearful that he's looking to gain help from the Assyrian army in order to defeat the two other armies. He's not relying on God. He's not interested in relying on God. But I am so glad that even in the moments of our lives, when we ourselves may not be interested in what God has to say, yet God still shows up. And he sent Isaiah. Notice in chapter 7, <laughs> beginning at verse 10. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depths or in the heights above. But Ahaz said, I, I, I'll not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. It is a small thing for you to worry, to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The first familiar passage which indicates, if you will, a prophetic meaning. There are some prophetic passages whereby there is an immediate implication as well as a future determination. This is one of them. It's not the first, but it is important. There is going to be a child born of a virgin. Ahaz. Now there are a number of theological discussions concerning who's the virgin. Now don't you all go run into the book of Matthew yet. Some discuss the fact that maybe, just maybe... This will be Isaiah's wife will have a son. Or it could be King Ahaz's wife will have a son. Or there will be some kind of intervention in the life of a young woman who has not had a child yet. We're referring to the word virgin. But yet, she will have a child. 
It might even be such a situation that it will be miraculous. It may very well be a, a woman who has never had a child, who maybe the world has said she can never have a child, but God says she's going to have a child. We don't know. The text is not clear. All we do know is that God is going to give a sign. Now, when God gives a sign, man cannot take any, if you will, from a greedy point of view, he can't take any credit for it. Ahaz, we see in himself, he had this sort of false humility. Oh, I, I, can't, I, I can't ask God. Uh, no, I, I won't ask God. God gave him a blank check. What do you want God to do? As Isaiah is saying to Ahaz. What do you want him to do to prove to you that you don't need to shoulder up with the Syrian army? I'm going to take care of it. Now, before we begin to overly criticize the nation of Israel, let me let you in on a little secret. We do the same thing. <laughs> We're guilty. This is us. When rough events of life begin to hoard upon us, when this darkness seems to want to overtake us, what are some of our first thoughts? I find it interesting that quite often in my own life, you, you're much more spiritual than me, but quite often in my own life, I'll begin to talk to other people before I begin to talk to God. Is there anyone else like that here? That's what we do. That's what we find ourselves doing. I mean, I, I really do enjoy all of you coming and sharing with me. Ambassador, I mean, can you help me out with this? Well, I'll try my best. I want you to understand something. From now on, my first response to you is going to be this. Have you talked to God about it yet? Because if you haven't talked to him about it yet, I'm nothing. Talk to him about it. Ahaz, what do you need for me to prove to you that it's all going to be okay? In this first prophetic announcement of the coming of a child being born to a virgin, the theme is this, dear people. The great hope that it is the truth of God's presence. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which, according to the Hebrew translation of that word, 
literally means God with us. It's clearly and wonderfully translated for you in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. When it says, all these things were done, that it might fulfill what the prophet had to say. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. You see, dear people, during this season, that's part of the great hope that it is God who is with us. All the lights and all the glitter and all the wonder that I can get wrapped up in, and I love all of that. I'm going to speak heresy to you just for a second. I stayed up one night when all of my grandchildren were there and we watched Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the greatest Christmas cartoon of all. And I get excited about that. But what really excites me this morning is this great hope that God has promised his presence with us. He is here. No matter what happens, he is here. We don't need to run to the Assyrias of this world. God is with us. The writer of Hebrews states it so wonderfully in chapter 13 and verse 5. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And thus it says in verse 6, for that reason... We may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Whom shall I fear? Whenever you're faced with a great burden, when you see the masses of the world that may be gathering on the horizons and are going to attack you, remember this. God has never left you, and he will never forsake you. That's the great hope that I get out of Isaiah chapter 7. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son, and you're going to call him Emmanuel, which is to say, God with us. The second hope passage is in chapter 9. Again, familiar as it is to all of us. I get excited from this particular passage because I have sung it so many times singing Handel's Messiah. It all starts out with the ladies, for unto us a child is born. Oh, yeah. I get excited. When I was in Portland, Oregon, for two years, I could have, though I sang a number of times, but I could have been to a different place every weekend in December to sing the Messiah's 
Handel's Messiah. When I was a choir director twice, I made sure I had a a 35-piece orchestra and a full choir bench, and we did Handel's Messiah twice. And when I get to this chorus, it is so exciting. The only one that beats it is the Hallelujah Chorus. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, and of his kingdom there will be no end. This great hope in reality is the revealing of the very power of Christ. His power. In each one of these wonderful names given to him, we see the dynamic of what is yet to come. He is, if you will, a wonderful counselor. Someone wrote it this way. Nothing is going to be dull about his reign. It is going to be dynamic each and every day. It's going to be something that we're never going to grow tired of. It will be a display of the very power of Jesus Christ. As he rules and reigns, no one's going to get tired. I found something interesting this week that I never thought about before. Whenever it's recorded, I'm going to speak heresy here in just a second. Whenever it's recorded that Santa Claus does something, What does he say? Ho, ho, ho. But when God is seen on his throne, what is said? Holy, holy, holy. Santa misses two letters. God's got them all. That's his power. That's his dynamic. See, Santa got to take 361 days off. Jesus Christ never takes a day off. He's a wonderful counselor. Not only will nothing be dull about his reign, but he will have the complete wisdom To rule effectively. Mighty God. I like this one. Impressive in power. It's one thing to stand at the base of the horseshoe falls at Niagara Falls. And to hear the roar of water, the great power that literally is harnessed as it churns turbines 
to send out electricity throughout all of the state of New York. But dear people, that's going to pale in the wonder and in the power of who Jesus Christ is. You see, that was brought into order by an individual naming God who said, let there be. In other words, it wasn't there until God wanted it there. And it's doing what God wants it to do because he made it to be that way. That's his power. He's impressive in strength, and I love this, in size. Where can you go that God is not there? That's a rhetorical question. I hope all of you were saying, uh, nowhere. You're right. He's not diminished one iota of whether he is here or if you just so happen to plant a church on the planet of Pluto, he'll be there at the exact same time. He's never diminished. In fact, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 40 that he measures the universe by the span of his hand. And he knows all of the names of every star. Just in case you're wondering what to get your wife for Christmas, gentlemen. I said this last week, but just in case you didn't get it. You can send, I think it's $25. And they'll send you back a certificate and one of the stars will have your wife's name on it. They'll tell you where it's at. In case you want to go out and spend $400 on a telescope to see it. Myself. I just love seeing my wife where she is. But God has already named it. I doubt God is going to say, Oh, Nancy, yes, the star over here I named after you. No. I love you, baby, and you outshine any star. See how you can get yourself out of trouble? Yes. Hope. The great hope is provided. Is that Jesus Christ and his power. <laughs> and it's displayed in the first verse of chapter 9 and verse 6 where it says, For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Don't miss those two phrases. One is speaking of the humanity of Jesus Christ. He will be born. He, has, he will come and he has come and he has dwelt amongst men. And even the apostle John says, and we have seen his glory. The glory as of the only begotten son of God, full of grace and truth. That is the son who was given. Perfect man. 
perfect God. In what is called in the theological realm, the hypostatic union. Together. And I am so glad that God came and took on the form of man because if he did not, we would not even be able to look at him for his glory. So he veiled it in a child that grew and finally who died and rose again. That's the power that has been provided. And just when it appears that you come with eternal questions, remember this, that God has provided the power to save. And all he asks you to do is come by faith. And trusting and believing in him and him alone. The final passage is chapter 11. Chapter 11 in verses 1 to 5. Here we have a great hope that is promised. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse... And a branch shall grow out of its roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes. Nor decide by the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness. He shall judge the poor. And decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins. And faithfulness the belt of his waist. It's a great hope that is promised. But it's the truth of what is yet to come. When we compare this with continuing verses of 6 through 10, all of a sudden we begin to understand what the millennium kingdom is going to be about. A child is going to be able to sit next to the cobra's den and not be hurt. The lamb will lay down with the lion. The lion is going to eat grass. A child, for whatever reason, I have no idea, but it says a child is going to be able to play with a snake. Why would a child do that? I got to be totally remade before I'm going to reach down and grab a snake. I mean, I hate snakes. I hate them. Scare me half to death. I was mowing my lawn one day. And a black snake. I chased that bad boy. I got him too. 
The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. <laughs> the best is yet to come. Because now when you compare what's going to happen in chapter 11, 6 through 10, you compare that to Revelation chapter 19, verse 11, all the way through chapter 20, verse 3. Jesus is coming again. He told his disciples in John 14, it's recorded for us. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you will be also. The dynamic of this is wonderful when we're faced with a moment of doubt. Remember this. Remember the truth that the best is still yet to come. This is all going to pass away, dear people. What I was talking to Pastor Isaac this morning about, I saw in these three passages something that I've never seen before. And I had to be very careful because I do not wish to adulterize any of these passages. I don't want them to say what I want them to say. But I saw something that I'd never seen before. In chapter 7, when it says, you should call his name Emmanuel. God with us. I said, that's God the Father. In chapter 9, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's Jesus. Then you get to chapter 11, and time after time, it refers to the Spirit. That's Holy Spirit. What we have here, dear people, is a glorious explanation of the triune Godhead. And the great promise is this, one day we're going to see him. No wonder we can say, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Because we have a lot to praise God for in his indescribable gift to us. That, dear people, is what excites me the whole month of December. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're only catching a glimpse. I don't know if Isaiah as a prophet fully understood everything that he was writing. All he was doing was speaking what you told him to say. But we're living in a time now where all of a sudden the virgin did conceive. And bring forth a son. 
And he was named Emmanuel. Meaning God with us. A child was born. A son was given. Jesus was the perfect embodiment. In him dwelt the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Then when that, that branch from Jesse come forth from the root, and the Spirit of God landed upon him, that's when Jesus Christ was, was even baptized. There's, you're, it's all about you, God. A triune Godhead who has given us great hope in the midst of darkness. Oh God, may our hearts just begin to exude and may we be a witness of the glory that we have in Jesus Christ even when we say Merry Christmas. For it is in Christ we ask these things. Amen.